for joining us today. I'm Safia Kazi, Privacy Professional Practices Principal at ISACA. And joining me today is a very special guest, author and journalist, Mark Turello. He is here to discuss his recently released ISACA journal article, Understanding, Assessing, Aligning, and Transforming Organizational Culture. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to get us started, you had a really interesting point in one of your articles, and it said that some organizations might say that culture is more important than even strategy or operations. Why is that the case? Yeah, that comes from a recent survey uh, where almost two-thirds of the executives and the board members who were taking the survey said that culture is more important. And Probably the main reason for that is that you can think of culture as the tacit social order of the organization, which has a heavy shaping influence on behaviors and attitudes in the workplace. So culture really has a profound effect in what is encouraged in a workplace, what is discouraged what is possibly accepted or possibly rejected. Yeah, and then if we could focus on information security a little bit, why might it be valuable for InfoSec leaders to understand an organization's culture? And what are some ways that they can go about evaluating what the culture might be like? Well, um, it's, I think in a few ways, it's particularly important for uh, InfoSec managers and leaders because depending on the work situation, and of course, every organizations are different, but in um, some organizations, the InfoSec department sometimes runs the risk of kind of getting siloed as people's attitudes towards them can be, well, they're the... Um, computer people, they're the tech people, but they're in a sense not full-fledged members of the business operations or operations in general. So that um, those attitudes can be kind of sussed out and examined through an assessment of the culture at large. And if an InfoSec manager is leading a culture assessment, or at least participating in it, it can be incredibly valuable for the InfoSec manager to have more cultural knowledge and have a greater working knowledge of the culture because um, if the culture needs change, that information is crucial and it's kind of the first step towards change. Yeah, in your article, you talk a bit about interviews and the role that they can play. Um, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses of relying on staff interviews as a method of assessing culture? Staff interviews uh, are interesting, and you could say that the strengths and weaknesses are kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, the same, and the coin itself is the fact that every person in the organization, every human being, has their own biases filters, perspectives, experience base, ways that they basically look at not only culture, but but all experience. 
And so when an InfoSec manager undertakes staff interviews, that's in the strength of that is an it's an incredibly valuable way to get different perspectives on culture because everybody's going to have a little bit of a different take. Now, if there are several interviews done, then there's uh, there'll certainly be commonalities that come up, and even though there are different perspectives, it's it can be often a great way for the infosec manager to get like almost a 360 view of the culture. The weaknesses arise when, let's say the infosec manager has a three staffer department and they're interviewing three people. And those three people, and three is not a huge number of interviews, right? So those three people have wildly divergent views of the culture that can be somewhat confusing to the manager because uh, these three uh, perspectives are so like one's black, one's gray, the other's white. They're so divergent that it can be harder for the manager to get a good view of, a good coherent view of kind of what the culture is. So in those cases, it'll be important for the manager to refer back to their own experience because presumably the manager is experiencing the culture on a day-to-day level. I'm curious about the role of honesty when it comes to interviews. You know, specifically, I'm thinking about if there's an organization that has a new InfoSec manager, but the culture previously was really toxic, people might be hesitant to be completely forthright in interviews. Um, What are some strategies that InfoSec leaders can use to help get staff being comfortable with being honest when it comes to interviews about culture? Uh, One of the main ones is really establishing privacy and confidentiality uh, confines right off the bat. And often, the it's best to have when the interviews are being say collated when the information is discussed real names not used in anything that's going to be widely viewed um and the manager him or herself really needs to kind of make sure that's enforced and make sure that okay person x or person y can easily be identified based on what he or she said in the interview. So the manager, that's a real concern, as you said. And the manager wants to really be cognizant of, we don't want to have any identifying information out there. This is just to get opinions and perspectives and views on the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And can you tell us a little bit about the BRAVE model and how that can be applied when looking at an organization's culture? Sure. That's an interesting one. Um, That is conceived by George Brandt. He's an interesting leadership and management expert, has a lot of books out. And BRAVE is an acronym that stands for Behaviors, Relationships, Attitudes, Values, and Environment. Those five categories all apply to the culture. 
how the culture influences behaviors, relationships, attitudes towards things, values that the culture holds, and actual environments, often physical environments. So to use the BRAVE model, um, what a InfoSec manager can do is, let's say they're doing staff interviews. There's questions for each category, like um, for behaviors, uh, what would what would be considered, do you think, um, acceptable professional behavior in this organization? How would you define that? With relationships, um, questions like, do you find that there are a lot of working relationships that span departments that are interdepartmental or are most working relationships confined to the department, which can, can kind of indicate that um, departments are being siloed off. So each of those categories can get to really crucial aspects of the culture and it really helps the uh, infosec manager who's leading the assessment understand the culture much better. Yeah, I think that environment piece is especially interesting in light of remote work and people not necessarily having to be in an office while working. Um, so how or should environment be considered when you're looking at a remote workforce? Well, th that's an excellent question because um, as you said, now with the real popularity, growing popularity of remote work, um, it comes to the fore not only about cultural, uh, not only about how remote work reflects on the culture, because there's actually been very interesting recent studies where in surveys, people who work remotely say they feel just as strong a part of the culture as they did when they were working in office. So remote work examining it um, has come up with some interesting findings. But the other wrinkle to that is, let's say you have an organization where pretty early on in the pandemic turnaround, uh, they the leaders told staffers, we need you back in the office every day. We just think that our organization functions better that way. That reflects on culture because um, that kind of reflects a top-down attitude. And if a lot of the staffers are were more interested in working, say, in a hybrid arrangement, there can be dissension, there can be... Um, attitudes that turn more negative about that top-down move. So policies to remote work actually influences culture as well. Yeah, it's a great point and kind of reassuring that you can be remote but still feel like you're part of the company culture. It's good to hear that. <laughs> yes, it, it really uh, it came through in some recent surveys. So shifting gears a little bit, what are some signs that organizational culture might need to change, you know, after you've done whatever assessment you need to do? A really good sign of that is 
Um, and this goes back to if an infosec manager is leading a culture assessment, um, it's good to have an idea of, okay, if we had the ideal culture, um, what would we want that aligned with? And let's say for infosec, let's say that an infosec manager says, our big thing we really want to strive for is innovation. We want to be in the marketplace looked on as really one of the top innovators. So with innovation in mind, let's say the cultural assessment is finished and it's clear that there's a real gap between the innovation ideal and some of the behaviors and attitudes and other aspects of the culture. There's a gap between them. For example, the culture is such where ideas that are suggested by lower level workers are not really seriously considered because there's a real hierarchy and structure. Well, that doesn't match with innovation, right? Because presumably innovative companies consider ideas from all over, whoever has them, um, they just want to go with the most innovative ideas. So when there's that gap, that's a real indication that, you know what, um, we might, we really may want to work on our culture. Yeah. And so you mentioned this idea of an ideal culture. How do organizations go about imagining what this could look like? And then is this something that they should document or is it just kind of more of an ideal to work toward? Uh, that's a good point. Um, two things I would, I would uh, mention there. One is that, yeah, uh, documentation uh, in the form of, say, a discussion or brainstorming that comes up with really coherent and specific aspects of culture they want to work toward, that's a really good exercise to do. Um, and also when, when there's a idea of the culture, it's really good for that to kind of almost organically come from what is the organization's main mission, goals, and values. So again, to use the innovation example, if the organization really lives or die by innovation, then it, they know that their ideal culture in many, many ways supports the idea of innovation. Yeah, and I think it's great to have an idea of what you might want to work toward, but I think buy-in might still be a challenge. You know, some people don't want to change because they're used to doing things the same way. Um, so how can those leading cultural transformation ensure that there's buy-in from everybody in the organization so that people are actually working toward building this new culture? It, it, it's a concept that some leadership uh, experts call creating culture together, where you're really thinking of every staffer as a partner in culture creation. It's not at all, um, you know, you don't know at all leadership, infosec managers and leaders shouldn't take the attitude of, okay, guys, we're going to create 
this great culture and impose it on the organization. It's at every step of the process, you're getting feedback from all staffers, and that includes the staff interviews, but also the brainstorming exercise I just mentioned about what the ideal culture, you definitely want to get feedback from staffers. What's your idea uh, of a great culture? What would some of some things that in culture would encourage? How would you feel working day to day in a culture, even if whether you're working remotely or in the office? That staff feedback is crucial, and that should always be not only solicited, but then incorporated into this project of co-creating culture. Yeah, and then when we're talking about specific cultures, where might a compliance culture fit in with an organization's overall cultural well-being? A compliance culture is interesting because virtually every organization, certainly, and InfoSec is is very big in this because in information security, you know, there's tons of compliance issues like uh, regulations, um, industry standards, new legislation that results in new rules and they have to be complied with. But the actual compliance culture piece regards staffers in the culture, do they understand whatever their work is, do they understand their role in compliance? And in a lot of organizations, many don't. They don't realize that whatever their work is, it has ramifications when it comes to, is the organization on a whole complying? So compliance culture really starts with widespread knowledge among staffers about their role in compliance. And to what extent should boards of directors be involved when it comes to shaping an organization's culture? Uh, boards should definitely be involved, um, and there are ways they can do that. Um, for instance, when boards are doing annual performance reviews of CEOs or other C-suite executives, culture management can be an area where they can be reviewed. How is this manager influencing the culture? How are they helping to shape culture? Are they moving the culture in a positive direction or, or trying to? So incorporating that into a review is a good way for, for boards to get involved. Yeah, and I mean, so many security teams are understaffed and there's just very few resources to do a lot of work. And I think some organizations might not prioritize culture because they don't see the value. So can you tell us what is the value and what are potentially some of the benefits of having a better organizational culture? Well, the, there's so much culture is so valuable um, because it really influences behaviors, operations. It influences how people work together, how things get done. And 
all of those things are obviously huge factors in bottom line factors like profit and revenue and competing in the marketplace. So if you think of culture as this kind of shaping, powerful, powerful shaping force to try to improve an organization's culture is an opportunity for the organization to get in front of the shaping force and actually shape it. So it's so many um, positive benefits that it really is often worth the time. And, and I know what you're saying. I mean, so many security departments are understaffed and um, resources are always an issue. But really, when it comes to culture, um, time and time again, studies have found that uh, the ROI in culture work is is really, really high. One, one last thing I want to um, mention under this topic, which is, you know, with things like open source technology and lots of networks that are sharing best practices, a lot of organizations can really come close to duplicating a lot of operational processes. Um, they can study best practices, operational best practices, and try to duplicate those. If they're producing products, you know, other products that are on the marketplace, they can study those and really, maybe they don't want to duplicate them for IP reasons, but I mean, they can have the knowledge to come close to doing so. But culture can really be a competitive advantage because it's so hard to duplicate another culture. There are so many factors that go into culture and there are so many, every person in the workplace really influences culture. You, you, everybody's culture is kind of unique. So if you work on your culture, it really can be a competitive advantage when it comes to being in the marketplace and your organization. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that, of course, teams are just really understaffed right now. I'm curious, do you think that it's possible to build an info security culture that not only helps maybe prevent burnout, but also attracts people to the field? If so, what might that look like? Absolutely. A couple things for that. One is when you mention attracting people to the field. Um, this goes along if an organization's culture has a really strong recruiting and onboarding program. Often aspects in that culture is that from day one, new InfoSec employees are learning about the mission of the organization and how their work is vitally important toward furthering that mission. So, you know, there's the old joke of onboarding consists of filling out forms for five days. And, and some of that has to be done, of course, but really a crucial part needs to be teaching and uh, having employees learn about 
what our mission is, how your work really contributes to that. That's so important for new employees, and especially when you think of um, the different generations. Study after study has shown the younger employees of the the newest generation is um, Generation Z, but also the millennials, which tend to be under 40. Mission and significance in work is, is so important. So that's a really good way for the culture, if, the, if that's a big part of the culture, to attract and retain great new employees. Yeah. And so I know we've been talking at ISACA about digital trust a lot. And I think a lot of times we think about it from the perspective of a business to a business or a business to a consumer, but we don't always think about it as the relationship between an employee and an employer. Um, how might a strong organizational culture help build digital trust between employees and their organizations? I believe that concepts and practices like digital trust, a big part of them is really an education process. Um, it's, it's similar to when a new employee comes in and gets briefed by HR. If HR from day one makes the point of one of our key values is work-life balance. And if you notice a lot of our HR programs, whether it's our vacation program or whether it's our workflex program, really designed to ensure work-life balance, um, helping people not get into burnout situations like you mentioned earlier. Digital trust is similar. If that is elucidated from the beginning and employees are told, here's what we are trying to do in terms of this kind of digital trust agreement and practice, it's something that becomes more top of mind for employees and they will think of when they think of their organization they may think you know what i really respect the group for really putting an emphasis on digital trust and and those type of programs and then before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners that maybe you discussed in the article but haven't had a chance to discuss in this episode? Um, yeah. One, one last thing would be there's been a lot of work and studies done about culture, but there's a really interesting development that's come up in the last few years. Traditionally, you know, for many years, culture was viewed as important. And in fact, hiring managers would often have the view of when a uh, potential new employee is being interviewed, one of the key aspects is how, what, how would they fit in our culture? Would they be a good cultural fit? You know, even if they've got a great resume and a great skill set, would they fit in our culture? But now, there's been an interesting development where more and more hiring managers, leaders, including some InfoSec leaders are saying, would this person be a cultural ad? Do they have a certain background, a certain skill set, um, even personal characteristics that really add to our culture? 
And we've never had an employee like that before. But now if this employee comes on board and is successful, they broaden our culture and then they help us bring more employees like that onto our team and further uh, broaden the culture. So the idea of a cultural ad for new employees, I think that's a really interesting and valuable concept. Yeah, I think that's great and would probably have a significant impacts as far as inclusion goes. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. But if you're interested in reading Mark's full article, be sure to click the link in our episode description. That's all for this episode. I'm Safia Kazi, and thank you for tuning in.